Hello, everybody. Welcome to another glorious day in God's creation. I'm John Kowalski, and this is Rise Up, a podcast about life's challenges with solutions provided by the Word of God. Uh, This week, we're talking about self-care. I think you can probably see a little bit of a theme to the last few uh, podcasts, uh, our Bible studies that are uh, chosen by members of our family uh, are obviously <laughs> geared toward what we're struggling with most in our lives. Last week was, or a couple weeks ago, was Sabbath. Uh, this week, it's self-care. Uh, and and I, I agree, it's, it's very much needed. It's something that we either do too much or not at all. Uh, and there doesn't seem to be a consensus on what the happy medium is. So maybe uh, through this Bible study, we learned a little bit about ourselves and a little bit about uh, taking care of ourselves. Uh, Albert Calhoun uh, began this study by accepting some truths about God's view of his creation, us. She says, God inhabits our bodies, delighting in every inch of us. Every eccentricity and peculiarity is received. Uh, Every longing and self-destructive habit is known. God knows us through and through and still wants to make his home inside of us. Uh, The fact that the Holy Spirit wants to abide in us is one way that we know how infinitely precious and beloved we are to God. We are God's own prized possessions. Uh, She goes on to define an acronym for joy that assigns the J to Jesus first, the O to others second, and the Y to yourself third. Um, You know, there, there is some truth to this, right? Without Jesus, we are lost. He should be first in our hearts, minds, and lives. Consider Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Albert Calhoun rightly asserts that this acronym can can and has morphed into a twisted theology about human worthlessness. Um, human beings are never worthless in the eyes of God. Um, that's a self thing uh, that we struggle with mightily. Um, in most cases, right? Uh, John 3.16 shows that human beings are never worthless in the eyes of God. Um, That should be enough proof for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 may be the most well-known and treasured verse in the Bible, but Romans 5, 1 through 11 explains this, God's view of his creation, a little more fully, okay? I'm going to break it down for you. Uh, Verse 1 states, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul then goes on to explain how Jesus accomplished this. 
Okay, in verse 2, he states, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Right? Then Paul digs even deeper in verses 3 through 5, which state, More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Verse 4 states, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And verse 5 states, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, starting in verse 6, Paul begins to explain why God would go to such lengths for his belligerent creation, us. Uh, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul gives reasons for God not to do what he did. Verse 7 asserts, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8 explains, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9 encourages us that since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Then verse 10 reminds us that for if we were enemies, we were, I'm sorry, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Paul then finishes the thought in verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Alberg Calhoun explains that God gave his dearest and only son to love human beings beings he treasure, treasures and adores. Uh, one of the greatest gifts we have next to Jesus is our own selves. We are gifts of God. His spirit lives in us, and we are to receive the divine love that he takes residence in our bodies. We are to take it in and let it form us into a place of prayer. God's love within us gives birth to more love, love of God, of others, and of ourselves. Self-care is not about self-centeredness. It's about caring for the body, the Holy Spirit, and habits. Self-care can be a spiritual act of worship. In evidence of, us, of this, Albert Calhoun uh, cites Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Albert Calhoun cites Parker Palmer, who wrote in Let Your Life Speak, 
that self-care is never a selfish act. It's simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on the earth to offer others. When we pay attention to our bodies, they tell us truth about ourselves. Now, I don't necessarily agree with the assertion that self-care is never selfish. Um, I don't think using the words always and never, unless you're talking about God, uh, are, are valid because there is no always and never with people. Um, when we put our personal needs ahead of worship or fail to give the glory for the result to God, then it can turn into a self-first issue. And there's nothing more selfish than that, right? Self-care and last week's topic, Sabbath, clearly go hand in hand. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 uh, states, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Um, Sabbath, though, is only part of self-care. In the reflection questions that we'll talk about in the next segment uh, and the spiritual exercises in the last segment, we're going to explore forms of self-care and the importance on making sure we don't upset the J-O-Y acronym, right? Jesus, others, yourself. In that order. Um, We are human, after all. We tend by nature to put ourselves first. Some even seem to care more about the approval of others than the approval of Jesus. Uh, People who do this flip the acronym, and uh, pun intended, into (laughs) Yo-J, Y-O-J, which puts their needs first, the opinion of others second, Just take a look at social media approval, populism, progressivism, politics, etc. And then name drops Jesus to justify their personal beliefs, often proof texting the Bible verses uh, as evidence of their misinformed priorities. Um, If you don't know what proof texting is, it's, uh, it's the process of pulling a Bible verse that seems to speak to whatever you believe but it's completely out of context from what it actually meant. Like you can pull any verse out um, of the Bible and make it kind of say what you want it to say. But when you put it together with all the other verses around it, the entire book or chapter uh, that you're reading, uh, it doesn't really say what you're claiming it says. That's proof texting. So uh, I'm going to take a quick break. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some reflection questions. We're going to get deep. So as uh, Pastor Dallas, our next-gen pastor at Bridgewood, would say, buckle up. We'll be right back. All right, I am back. And uh, in the first segment, we talked about what self-care is uh, and maybe a little bit about what it's not. Um, Now we're going to talk about some of Albert Calhoun's uh, reflection questions uh, that she posed in the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook 
that we got this Bible study out of. Um, her first question uh, is uh, that God created you very good, right? He created you well. Uh, thank God for making you who you are. If you have a hard time thanking God for yourself, what does this reveal about how you value being made in his image? Um, this is kind of a tough one, right? Because um, it, it's a little different or contrary to the way we think um, about pride, right? Because I think whether you are a narcissist or you're self-deprecating to the point where you just, you know, never, you're relentless on yourself. Uh, I think both are pride issues. Um, Bob Duco is a Christian apologist and radio host on 103.5 WMUZ uh, here in the mid-Michigan area. Uh, years ago, we attended one of his appearances at what is now Bridgewood Church's Goodrich campus. Uh, in one of his CDs that we bought at that event, his wife speaks to women specifically about pride issues. Um, she makes the assertion that stuck with me ever since I heard it. Um, she said that our self-deprecation, our fear, our doubt, our anxiety are as much issues of pride as egotism or narcissism. Uh, when I first heard it, it seemed wrong, you know, counterintuitive. But I thought about it some more. You know, God made us in his image. He sent his son to die for us to reconcile us to him. Okay, so if we look at Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, it defines pride in many ways. I'm going to give you a few of them. It's undue confidence and attention to one's own skills, accomplishments, uh, state, possessions, or position. Uh, second, it, some of the synonyms for pride include arrogance, presumption, conceit, self-satisfaction, boasting, or high-mindedness. Keep that one in mind, high-mindedness, because I think that's thinking that your thinking is bigger than God's thinking, right? His view of something is like your view is different, but somehow you're right and God's wrong. Um, so keep that in mind. Third, def, uh, third definition, uh, it's the opposite of humility. Uh, the proper attitude one should have in relation to God, right? We should be humble in relation to God. Uh, according to Jesus, we should be humble in relation to each other, um, which we often are not. Pride is rebellion against God because it attributes to oneself the honor and glory due to God alone. Uh, proud people do not think it necessary to ask forgiveness because they do not admit their sinful condition. And finally, some have considered pride to be the root and essence of sin. Uh, others consider it to be sin in its final form. In any of these cases, it's a grievous sin, right? Boasting can be committed uh, only in the presence of other persons, right? 1 John 2.16 and James 4.16 talk about it. Haughtiness or arrogance um, measures the self as above others 
um, which you'll see in Mark 7.23, Luke 1.51, Romans 1.30, 2 Timothy 3.2, James 4.6, uh, and 1 Peter 5.5, 5, and, and probably many other verses. Um, this word refers primarily to the attitude of one's heart, right? Uh, 1 Timothy 3.6, 6.4, and 2 Timothy 3.4, use a word literally meaning to wrap in smoke. Uh, it emphasizes the plight of the one who has been blinded by personal pride, right? Pride may appear in many forms. Some of the more common are pride of race, spiritual pride, and pride of riches. Uh, Jesus denounced pride of race in Luke 3.8, uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the publican was directed at those guilty of spiritual pride. The ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. In Luke 18.9, James 1.10, uh, warns the rich against the temptation to be lifted up with pride because of their wealth. Um, but out of all of those definitions that Holman's gave, None of them mentions undercutting yourself in, in defiance of God's view of you. But isn't it the same root? Putting your feelings, your thoughts, your judgments above God's? You might argue that it's just humility. I disagree. Holmans defines humility as the personal quality of being free from arrogance and pride and having an accurate estimate of one's worth. Did you hear that? Having an accurate estimate of one's worth. So there's a difference between acting as if you are worthless and acting as if you are worth less than others, right? There's a big difference there, not just a space in the word, okay? We are called to act like we are worth less than others. Uh, we are not called to act as if we are worthless. The second question uh, Albert Calhoun posed is for us to talk to God about what it is like to receive ourselves as he receives us. Uh, I'll admit this is a little hard for me. It, it, it's hard for me to see myself as God sees me. First of all, I'm not God. I don't claim to be. So I can only imagine how he actually sees me. Uh, I see a man who fails, stumbles, sins. I also see a man who tries, succeeds, is strong-willed uh, at times. Uh, have any of you sports fans ever seen a football player on a long touchdown run or... Uh, and, and he's looking up at himself on the jumbotron uh, as he's running in for a touchdown. Uh, that's us. We see our mistakes and successes as some competition. Uh, I often remind myself that there is no scoreboard. Jesus paid for the mistakes and the glory for the successes should go to God, right? So if our mistakes are free and the glory goes to God, there is no scoreboard, right? We're just doing what we do and doing the best we can. So the silly mental game we put ourselves through is really a zero-sum game. 
We can't win because the game is over and has been since long before we were born. Uh, the only real question is, are we on the right team? We know the end of the story. We know who wins, yet many still choose the wrong team, the me team. Talk about arrogance. Question three, how have you neglected caring for yourself, your body, and your relationships? How might Jesus be inviting you more deeply into some area of self-care? Uh, I could write a book uh, outlining all the times I've neglected health and relationships. I'm currently struggling with major back issues. I do see a chiropractor, but that's kind of at this point turned into simply pain management. Uh, I need to see a doctor and find out what is wrong so that it can be fixed. In my defense, medical coverage issues haven't helped. Uh, I'll withhold all comment about ACA and Obamacare. Uh, my last insurance provider demanded six weeks of physical therapy before they would even do an MRI. I know name calling is simple, sinful, but what quackery is this? Without knowing the cause, how do I know that I'm not making the problem worse by doing this physical therapy? I'd rather suffer through somewhat manageable pain than to potentially make it worse. I have a new provider now that may allow me to get an MRI, but I can't get an appointment with my doctor uh, to get it ordered until the end of January. So uh, we'll wait and see, and we'll do what we can to maintain until then. Uh, relationships are a completely different battle for me and 100% my responsibility. And in many cases, fault. Uh, I don't really call people other than my parents and kids. Some of the kids are fine with this minimal contact. Some talk to me every week or so. Um, I have no room to complain uh, either way. Um, I do try to reach out, but you know, I gave that example. And as they say, chickens come home to roost, right? Uh, when Wendy and I have started to be more intentional about doing life with friends. Uh, we've been out with couples from our church and others we have met at work. Uh, I even made a few actual telephone calls this week. You know, not texts, actually speaking to people. Yeah, I know. I am trying to cultivate relationships beyond small talk while we serve together or in the lobby in church on Sunday, right? Those are just simple niceties. That's not really developing a relationship. Um, clearly, God wants a relationship with us. He wouldn't have gone to such incredible lengths to bring us into reconciliation with him if he didn't. He also wants us to have relationship with each other. I'll give you some proof of that. How about Ecclesiastes 4.12? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 1 Thessalonians uh, 3.12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, 
goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. And finally, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Having relationship, being in community, makes us stronger. Question four, what is experience burnout like for you? What do you do to recover? How has it changed the way you live? This was a great question for me, and I I think I did some therapy in writing the answer. Uh, After 30 plus years in retail management, I felt beyond burnt out. I was not only spent, but every account was drastically overdrawn. It wasn't really about the work. I was good at it. That always decreases stress, right? When we're good at our jobs. Uh, But toward the end, it was about dealing with people. The world is quickly deteriorating into an ugly place. People are angry about everything from COVID-19 to climate change to how their neighbors walk their dogs. Uh, Before we Christians get on our high horses though and say something like, sure glad I follow Jesus, stop and think about it. I have seen brothers and sisters in Christ assaulting each other online about doctrine, politics, petty gossip, and worse. I simply couldn't take it anymore. Every day at work felt like a battle with an endless army of overindulged adult brats. For me, recovery was a huge leap. We reconnected with the House of Providence after I graduated from college. We began mentoring one of the residents. When they advertised an administrative position, I applied. Uh, It turned out the position was clinical, not my skill set. The founder called me though one day and explained to me, explained that to me, uh, and recommended I talk to a friend of his at a different nonprofit who was looking for help with fundraising and grant writing. Turns out that friend of his was Bridgewood's former youth pastor uh, and the man who married Wendy and I in 2017. Only God, right? Uh, So I talked with Brad about helping him at Key of Hope part-time starting around the first of the year, 2022. Uh, Then I asked, I went back after I decided we were going to do that. uh, I went back to House of Providence and asked if they could use me as direct care staff at the boys' home uh, a few days a week. They did. So I quit my job and the rest was history. To be clear, I am not advocating dumping your job with no plan. I had a plan. Uh, I didn't know it was all going to work out, but I trusted God with the rest. And he was, as he always is, faithful. Uh, How did it change my life? Let's just say completely. Uh, I have never been more fulfilled in my job than I have at House of Providence and Key of Hope. Every minute I spend with the boys, even at their worst, is a gift directly from God. I get to tell them they're safe and perfect and loved. I get to show them that the horrific things they have endured are not their fault. I get to show them that not everyone in their lives leaves. I get to live Luke 17, 1 through 4. 
and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. I have always believed that Jesus didn't mean just children when he made this statement. And the version of it in Luke seems to support my belief. By little ones, he's referring to all of us, his children. Jesus goes on to advise us on how to handle repentant sinners. Forgive them. In verse 3 and 4 of uh, Luke 17, he says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. I am still a work in progress on this count. I often say that as hard as I try to be Paul, more often than not, I find myself acting like Jonah. Question five. How might receiving yourself as a gift from God affect your life? Um, accepting God into my life was the, was easy when it finally happened. It, it just took me 50 years to see the truth that was clearly right in front of me the whole time. God's fingerprints are all over my life, even long before I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Uh, accepting ourselves as a gift from God is more difficult. The thing I hear most from non-believers is, I've done too much wrong. I need to work on myself first. God would never forgive me. It saddens me greatly when I hear such utter nonsense from people. I want to point out the tremendous narcissism of that claim, but I don't want to alienate them, especially in a time of need or distress. Do they truly think their personal sins are more powerful than the God who created everything? Again, we must be careful before we judge. Many believers, myself included, are very hard on ourselves. We know God forgives our sins, but that doesn't stop us from dwelling on them to the point of stressing ourselves out, losing sleep, and deteriorating our health. We need to reprogram our brains to think of ourselves as the greatest creation of an all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent God. Anything less than complete agreement with God about our value is basically disobedience. That said, none of this makes us better than anyone else. Even the people who reject God or haven't gotten to the point of seeing their own value through God's eyes. God loves his atheist and agnostic children as much as he loves you or me. Think of the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15, 1 through 7. The shepherd left the flock to find one lost sheep. Couldn't the 99 have been decimated by wolves while he was gone? Maybe, but there was strength in numbers for them as there is for us in the body of Christ, his church. We also know that if a wolf did get to us, we would go home with our father. If the wolf gets the lone sheep, they'll be gone forever. God would never choose that fate for any of those he created in his image. He gave us the free will to reject him if we choose, 
accepting our decision to do so with mourning. Number six, how do you prevent yourself from receiving love from God and others? There's no simple answer to this question. Each of us has our overdeveloped defense mechanisms uh, designed and improved upon by every trauma we have experienced. By the time you get to be my age, your walls have walls. We shield ourselves from genuine loving relationships for fear of potential pain or sacrifice. I believe that uh, that is one of the main reasons people reject God. They think, follow, they think of following Jesus in terms of what they're going to lose or give up and fail to see all that is gained by the decision. They prioritize self, entertainment, love, lust, greed, and a thousand other sins above their need for forgiveness and salvation. Paul explained it best in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, when he said, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. In truth, we can never prevent ourselves from receiving love from God. We can reject him, but that does not diminish his love. Could you stop loving one of your children? We can be rejected by our kids. They can even do horrific things that we in no way condone. But could we just stop loving them? God does not reject us. He gave us the free will to reject him. He never gave himself the same choice. I'll be right back after this break with some spiritual exercises. All right, I am back. All right, so in the first segment, we defined self-care. We, we kind of talked about what it is and what it isn't. Uh, in the second segment, we kind of figured out how to see the image of God in ourselves. Uh, and now we're going to talk about some uh, spiritual exercises to help us do that. Um, now, you can't do all of these. You're going to have to pick and choose. I guess you could, over time, do all of them. Um, but you got to pick and choose the ones you think are going to have the biggest impact on you. We all struggle with this, with self-care in different ways. So one of these should be able to, uh, meet you where you need it. Um, so number one, make a list of things you like about yourself, uh, and then thank God for making you who you are. Um, Maybe at the same time, you can identify some of the things that you maybe don't like so much about yourself and start praying to God to help you fix those, right? 
Uh, number two, stand in front of a mirror and take a good look at yourself. What does your body tell you about where you came from? What you have done in your life, your choices. Tell God how you react to what you see. What places of your past still need to be received and integrated into who you are? You know, that's a big part of why we struggle, right? Because sometimes we don't deal with the trauma in our lives. We we just neglect it. We just push it aside. Um, and that's not healthy to do. We have to deal with it. Uh, sometimes that involves getting people involved, a friend, a pastor, a counselor, a therapist. Um, it definitely is never solved by just ignoring it and hoping it'll go away. All right. So number three, uh, care for yourself by planning a day that you would enjoy. Uh, choose where you want to be and who you want to be with. Celebrate the gift of the day and yourself. This kind of goes right hand in hand with our study last week on the Sabbath. Now, this doesn't have to be your Sabbath day. This can be a vacation day. This can be a spa day. This can be a, uh, a trip, a day trip with your family. It can be a self day where you just get alone, pray, read, whatever you like to do that helps you to get into um, your thought process and, and get things figured out in your life. Um, number four, where in your body life do you need a new beginning? What practices and patterns that tie into food, intimacy, rest, work, relationships uh, that you would like to change? Uh, how can you cooperate with God in an effort to honor your body as his temple? And who can help you in this? You don't have to do this alone. You can ask for help. Uh, maybe somebody has dealt with this before and may have some advice for you. Uh, and then when, do you, when you come down hard on yourself, remember that you can begin again. Confess your harsh self-treatment as well as whatever caused you to be so hard on yourself and ask for God's grace to receive who you are. The Christian message is about new beginnings. We need to learn to give ourselves the same grace that God already gave us that we struggle to accept and see and act out in our lives. Number five, sit quietly in a comfortable position, breathe slowly, and notice any tightness in your body. What is your body saying to you right now? Listen to it. Don't scold it. Don't put it off. Don't ignore it. How would Jesus want you to care for yourself right now? If you're having aches and pains, if you're having medical issues, if you're having mental issues, thoughts uh, that are unwelcome, work them out. Get help where needed and work them out. Number six, keep a record of how much you sleep. Are you respecting your God-given need for rest and recreation? Uh, as a discipline, ask God how long he wants you to sleep. Is it more or less? Readjust your sleeping or resting patterns for the week. What is this like for you? This one's kind of crazy to me because 
I walk around in the world and it seems like everyone's wearing fit watches or Fitbits or, you know, step trackers. Even your phone does it while it's in your pocket. You may not use the app, but uh, it's still there and it's tracking. Uh, But what do you do with it, right? Are you doing anything with it? Is it like a New Year's resolution to lose a few pounds and then you pay attention to it for a couple of weeks and then... You, you just lose track of it. Like we all lose track of our resolutions. Um, I think it's crazy that we keep all of that information that, that we wear these watches and these devices uh, and we're tracking all of it. But what do we actually really do with it? Probably not a lot, right? It tells you you're not sleeping enough. Oh, well, don't have a choice. Uh, yeah, you do. You do have a choice. Uh, Unless you've accepted a job that has you working uh, 18-hour days, uh, leaving you six hours for eating, sleeping, and everything else you need to do in your world, uh, which I doubt, uh, then you are making the decisions to stay up later or whatever, right? So I think it's time that you be honest with yourself uh, and look at those things and say, what can I do to fix this problem, right? Number seven, cultivate ways of nurturing and caring for your body. Bubble baths, massages, exercise, soft sheets, pillows, buy flowers, you know, read an engrossing book, spend time with your hobbies and people who bring you life. Uh, Pick up an interest you left behind. Uh, It's okay to settle into downtime. Watch your favorite TV program, rent a movie, cheer on Monday Night Football. Well, unless you live in Michigan, there's really nothing to cheer for on Monday Night Football or Sunday for that matter. Uh, If you like sports, join a league. Gather some friends for Ultimate Frisbee. Uh, Go to a road rally or the driving range. Whatever it is do that. For for me and Wendy, it's it's spending time with friends these days, right? We try to, uh, whenever we have a free night, we try to fill it with somebody from our church or somebody in our lives that we don't get to see very often. Um, it's not always possible. There's lots of scheduling conflicts, uh, but we find a way. Uh, If you don't get your first choice, get your second choice and and get that other couple that was the first one you called uh, next week when they're available, Uh, whatever it takes. Uh, It's amazing how much better and relaxed and rested you feel when you surround yourself with people that pour into your life instead of sapping out of your life. Um, Number eight. If you're recovering from something, a divorce, a death in the family, deep grief, uh, I would recommend that you try to get some help. Talk to somebody. Um, I'm not a trained counselor, but if you need somebody to listen, uh, call me. Reach out. I can do that well. I can listen well. Uh, I don't know that I'll have any advice. Uh, and if I do, it may be, you know, some biblical principles that might help you through whatever you're trying to get through. Um, 
All I would say is don't disconnect from God. Uh, that's not really going to help anything. I recently had a friend reach out to me that's that's suffering from a, a great loss. Um, and we just, actually, we were ch- chatting through text. Um, I've been trying to get him to meet up with us, uh, maybe, you know, as couples. And it just... I don't think he's ready uh, for that, but um, it it was a conversation that clearly told me that he needs somebody in his life to talk to. Um, He's reaching out to me through text, um, and and I don't know how much help that was. I hope it was some, um, but clearly he needs help, and he's just not ready to reach out completely. Um, one of the things I gave him through that conversation was Psalm 34, 18, uh, which says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And I encouraged him to stay connected with his church. Um, and, and I think he is, I, I think maybe at first he struggled with, you know, why did this happen? Um, but I think, I think he knows um, that loss and tragedy and pain, suffering are going to happen in this world. They just are. Uh, it's not because God wants us to suffer. It's because we have free will. And when everyone on a planet has free will, some people are going to do horrific things. Um, and some things are just going to happen. People get sick. People have accidents. People, there are tragedies every single day that are, uh, you know, weather related or people related, right? Those, those of us here in, um, in this part of Michigan, uh, are still reeling from what happened at Oxford High School. Um, I, I can't even imagine the people who suffered a loss in that tragedy. I can't even really imagine the people whose kids were there who didn't suffer a loss. They they have to be afraid to let their children out of their sight right now. Um, regardless, please seek help. Um, if you need, if you don't know who to call, reach out to somebody. Reach out to a pastor, reach out to a school guidance counselor, reach out to me. I know some really smart people. I know some people who are in clinical and therapy professions. Uh, maybe I can get them to recommend somebody for you. Uh, but please don't just live in it. Um, we're not meant to suffer in loneliness or alone. We're, we're meant to share it in community and, and have people around us to help us recover. Um, some other resources on self-care um, that Albert Calhoun recommends. Um, obviously, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, uh, Divorce Recovery Workshops. She mentioned um, 
support groups for whatever it is that you're struggling through other people have struggled through as well so there are support groups for everything you can imagine um, there's a book called self-care a theology of personal empowerment and spiritual healing by ray s anderson uh, and then the spiritual leader's guide to self-care by rochelle melander and harold epley uh, and then of course you could always pick up Adele Albert Calhoun's Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, which our family has found uh, very helpful in navigating various topics. So uh, that's it for this week. Uh, I'm not really sure if I'll have time during Christmas week to uh, to get out a podcast. Uh, so this may be my last one for this year. Um, I hope that you're enjoying them. I hope that you have a Merry Christmas. I hope you keep Christ in Christmas. Don't forget about what the true reason for this season is. Uh, I hope you have a Happy New Year. And I hope that you plan to make 2022 the best year that you can. Remember... We are in control of our lives, not of everything. Pain, suffering, things like that are going to happen in our lives. But how we react to it, how we get through it, and who we trust to help get us through it is who we are. So until next time, everybody, I'll be praying for you. I hope you'll be praying for me. Have a great Christmas and rise up.